Kia ora, I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. Today on The Detail, it's more than four weeks since 145 workers were locked out of the Kawaro factory that makes most of the country's toilet paper. Their pay dispute has been dragging on for months. The workers want a rise to match annual inflation of 7.3%. The mill's Swedish owner, Essity, is offering 3% a year for the next three years, plus a lump sum of $4,500. It's 36 years since the last lockout here, and they still talk about it in town. It even inspired a novel, A Striking Truth, by former resident Helen McNeil. Still reverberating, so it had a major effect not just on the number of people that live in the town, the amount of work that's available, for those, but for those who still live there, it is still a conversation you don't have. I've talked to people in Kawaro who say even when a deal is reached this time, there's a lot of bad blood between the two sides that will take a long time to come right, not helped by this threat from Essity. Around 60 workers at a Kawaro paper mill have been individually named in a claim for more than half a million dollars in damages. This employment lawyer says it's an unusual and aggressive tactic. But what astounds me is that there has been an application for damages by uh, the employer to um, sort of terrorise uh, the union and the staff members. And its refusal to allow them to dip into their super fund. The toilet paper giant Essity has blocked out workers from making hardship withdrawals from their own retirement savings. Bill George is one of the workers locked out from the place he's worked at for more than 20 years. He talks about just how important the mill is to him, his family and the town, and what it's like to be locked out. Oh no, being locked out's terrible. Yeah, uh... It was quite a shock, actually. I, was, um, I wasn't here for, personally myself, I wasn't here back in the 80s when they had their first lockout. In the 80s, 86, the I 80s. think. I've been here 20-something odd years, but uh, in every negotiation, the company's always give and take both both ways. Um, but we've never been locked out. So it was quite a shock, because my wife sort of just said, oh, what are you doing home? I said, oh, we've been locked out. <laughs> They've discontinued our cards. We can't get through the door, and yeah. So if they gave you the warning, why was it a shock that you were locked out? Like I'm just the main income in the, in the family. I've heard about it, companies doing it for like maybe one day, just to say this is what happens when you sort of come against us. But to lock us out permanently is like far out, you know, and then straight away I knew what was going to happen. We've got no income coming in. I've got two disabled children. Um, my uh, grandson's autistic, type 1 diabetic. My granddaughter's um, diagnosed as globally delayed. So she's had surgeries on her stomach. She's got quarter of a bowel missing, so we homeschool her. Mm. My wife is an ex-teacher, so she does homeschooling at home. And I knew straight away, I knew straight away when we were locked out, oh no. You would have a few costs. You've got a mortgage? Yep, I've got a mortgage. I've got um, diabetic stuff that I have to pay for. I've got cars. Because my son's autistic, I've got to buy certain types of food. My granddaughter wears um, pull-ups at night time. I've got to buy pull-ups every week. So how are you managing? I mean, if this has been going on for more than a month. Oh, by God's grace, we're sort of getting by. Plixie's family's been giving some money. Um, my family's putting some money in my account. And because my wife was good with sort of finances, so my power, my rates, we've been paying weekly. So it was actually in credit. So um, we just put them on hold till we can you know, get back. So streamlining every bit of finance sort of thing. 
Must be stressful though, Bill. It's dreadful, but I mean, at the end of the day, what can you do, eh? Just praying. You know, you're alive as long as you've got as long as you've got food on the table, um, your clothes on your back, and you've got your what, what do they say? Your your health is your wealth. Anything else can be replaced, but your life can't. Tell me about your job at the mill. My position is what they call uh, a machine tender. It's taken me uh, 15, 16 years to get to my position where I am because you slowly got to come up through the ranks. I originally originally came from Auckland. I was a, I actually worked in the converting side. So you working on the machine that yeah, makes... I'm actually working on uh, PM2, which is uh, if you, you know Purex the Rolly Dog. Yeah. If you see their Rolly Dog, we make all the toilet paper on there and other. Other tissues. What it is is when you're training it up. When I first started, uh, we were making speeds of um, 1,100 meters a minute, 1,200 meters a minute. But now we're running 1,600 meters a minute. Can run up to 1,700 meters a minute, but it's got to be finely fine-tuned. Um, we've got a cylinder that that brings over pulp, dries it, and um, inside the cylinder it, it, it's at 800 kPa. So my job as a machine tender when I'm when I'm a lead hand is actually to watch the steam, the chemicals, make sure everything's right because if you don't get it right and um, you don't know what you're doing, it can actually explode. Oh. And it can take out um, anything between 100 and 150 metres to blow it, blow it clean uh, smithereens. <laughs> wow. Uh, um, yeah, so it's a specialised job, yeah. I was going to say, you know, so there, it's not like anybody could step in there and fill in. Well, layman, layman's term is it's something like this: say you've got a say, say you're on a plane and you've got a pilot, eh? Mm. So a pilot's been trained how many years to get to where he is. He knows how to drive the plane. He knows what to do when um, accidents happen. He knows what to do when it when things go wrong. Now, if I took that pilot out and I said to him, stand on the tarmac, and I went out on the went out on the road and I just picked any random fella off the road and said, thank you, mate. So you jump in the pilot seat. The way you go, start it up. And you got 200 people in the back. Give it your best shot. Away you go. Hmm. And then <laughs> you wouldn't do that, would you? <laughs> no. And do you work in shifts? How does that? Yes. Mm. So we work from uh, seven at night to seven in the morning, two days, and then a 24-hour break, and then two day shifts, and then days off and start again. And has it been a good place to work? I mean, you've been there a long time. Oh no! I look, I'm I'm grateful to all the different companies that I've had there. The mill has paid paid for my kids' schooling. It's put them put them through university. It, my son's got his PhD up in Auckland, and the mill helped pay for all that. You know, so and to be honest, I, I'm an ex uh, West Aucklander, but I'm so used. You know, the the lifestyles you can go, um, you know, fishing, surf casting, trout fishing, hunting, you know, all that kind of thing. Swimming. I didn't know where Kowado was. So, and then when I came, I thought, oh, it's totally different. Uh, our kids were, were not used to the, they were used to the city life, but, you know, so laid back. And, you know, first thing when I got to Kawarau, my kids used to say, oh, can we go to McDonald's? Oh, no, no, you can't go to McDonald's. It's like 30, 35 minutes away. Hey. <laughs> 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 Whatever's here is here. <laughs> mm. But the mill's, the mill's always been good to us, you know. But we've been through three or four different companies since then. But the last company that we've had is the, the, the management. We've just had no goodwill. This is Essity, isn't it? The Swedish yeah, company. Yeah. Back in the day, it used to be more like we do our production and it's more like a family, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, we're on a first-name basis. They used to give us um, little things like Christmas hamper or 
things like that. But the bigger the company goes, I think up the ladder they they lose touch with the people on the floor. So the way I look at it is when you're on the floor, you're working with the people on the ground. You know, we're all trying to do our best like we did through COVID and we're working with management. You know, we're on a first-name basis. We're all working along together as a team. But um, with SED, it's it's been more about production, 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 you know. So you, you have no connection, no relationship with the management? No, no. For example, my dad worked in CPE bedding where they used to be in Pitt Street. And, he, and you know, they looked after the workers. They had family days. And and, and look at this. You know, my dad died. Um, oh, and the owners went and paid for his funeral. And, you know, and I was finding it hard. And uh, I think it was uh, Peter and Craig Turner. They're the ones that run the company now. Yeah. So that blew me away. And I thought, gee, what a beautiful company Sleepy Bedding is. And, and of course, the mill is really, really important to the town. The town was built around the mill, eh? support. I think it was Fletcher's back in the day, so um, I think it was uh, Caxton that mm. um, uh, built it next to, to yeah, Spencer's originally built it, and um, it's been a wonderful, wonderful thing to uh, for the community. It's always support of the community, and the community knows that, and that's why the community's always got together and um, supported the, the people in the mill, and it's always come back, you know. But do you feel like it's it's a bit of a one way thing at the moment? In my opinion, it's one way one way thing. I mean, in our morning meetings, uh, um, first thing saying morning, how's your weekend? You know, the, the guys on the floor are good. You know, talking about it, and then straight away it's like, oh, you know, they're talking on the floor, and it's like, oh, no, you didn't make production target. You got a, you're about thirty tons short, or whatever. It is. Hey, so it's all about production, production, production. Um, it's lost its, I don't know what's the word, you can call it um, human touch. We all know the old saying in Kaurau, Uncle Tasman. Uncle Tasman's here no longer. This is Malcolm Campbell, mayor of what he calls the Kingdom of Kaurau for 21 years. He's lived there all his 69 years, ran a butchery until it was ram-raided and burnt down last year. He's seen the local and international mill owners come and go, the Spencer family, the Fletchers, Norska Skog, and he was part of the fight to keep the factory now owned by Essity in Kaurau. When he talks about Uncle Tasman, he means the James Fletcher Company that started the pulp and paper mill in 1952. Sporting clubs and that, but with connections in the mill, I said, look, we need this, this, and it was all done. Everything happened. If you squealed, Tasman fixed it. Those days are gone, and we've known about this for the last 25 years that I've been in local government. So the model that did so well, you know, in those early days is, is not working now. Well, no. How difficult is it for you as the outgoing mayor to see this, um, you know, this dispute being played out in the town? Look, well, um, for me personally, um, it's not as bad as what it has been for me in my business life because I was in the butchering industry. And, and as I say, for 47 years, so I've been through all the big strikes and all that. Uh, going out, it's, uh, I, can, I do have some concerns, to be honest, um, but it's not something that is that insurmountable that it can't be fixed. Mediation is always a good thing because if you've got two people that are disagreeing on something and, and a whole lot of emotions get involved, you actually end up with a, with a stalemate and then you get all sorts of people taking sides and that's not good for anybody 
and it's certainly not good for the community. The lockout is now more than four weeks. Yes. But yes. this dispute has been going all year, hasn't it? And I, and I know that you're not taking sides on this. And ST is not speaking. So it is a very one-sided story exactly, in a way. Exactly, yes. But what concerns me is that people now, if a month's gone by, and, and I'll give you an example, and going back into the big 12-week strike we had here in, in Kawarau. Was this in 1986? Yes. If it wasn't for the banks that we had in our town in those days, um, even Malcolm Campbell wouldn't be in business today. There was a lot of support from banks. Today, don't tell me about banks. You'll get me going and we'll be here talking about it for the next day. Well, have um, you even got any banks in town anymore? And that's, that's the issue. That is the issue when it comes to mortgage and, and they say, oh, we'll help you out. They've got to make that up after a while. It's got to be paid back somewhere along the line. And, and as far as food goes, um, you know, there's there's a whole lot of support going out there. I know that social services have given $20,000 to our local food bank, which is unheard of. And, and so it, the most important thing is that bellies are fed and life goes on as best you possibly can. What concerns me, though, is that financial pressure will smoke them out, soften them up so much that they say, oh, hell, we give up. So you're talking about the workers here, that they come under so much financial pressure that they'll they'll agree. That's the the crux of it. And I I, I warn people, um, especially business people, and I've spoken to a few around the last week or so, is to be very, very careful about taking sides. Just remember one thing, that the people that you're talking about are the people that come into your shops, and buy your products and the lights. And and going back to the days of Norsefield when Fletchers were here, um, people were asked about those sort of things and, and, and the business association, which I was very much tied up into, um, the chairman of the business association actually did take sides and <laughs> he was standing all alone at the end of the day because all of us shopkeepers that have been here all our lives knew that, hey, I don't see Hugh Fletcher coming into my shop to buy meat. But these people that are locked out or on strike or whatever, they do. And you've got to keep your relationship going with your locals and you've got to keep your relationship going with the unions because they are people that look after their members and they pay the bills at the end of the day once once the, the, the smoke is settled. And they they are, are loyal to their town. But to just that, that was my philosophy. When Hugh Fletcher comes in and buys a steak from me, then I might start listening to the other side. But right now, I'm only interested in keeping my town going and my community going. Yeah, so you're talking about 1986. But talk about now, I mean, the people, I've talked to a few people in Kawaro. Um Some people won't go on the record about it. But they're saying one of the problems is that none of the managers from Essity live in the town. They have no connection. They, they they don't know the families. They don't bump into people in the supermarkets. They don't know the kids who, who are going through the schools there. Hey, I, I, as I say, I've lived here all my life, so I know what it's like to be to be living in the town with all our managers and going to school with them and, and the like. So they're no, no longer here. That's, That's a problem, problem, isn't it? They don't have any. So they don't have, they, you know, it's, it's in saying that, Yesterday is one of our biggest ratepayers, and we I'm, and I I battled along with our iwi to retain. Uh, well, in those days it was a salios to retain 
that factory down the road here. Um, and they had two options, either shut it down here and go to Australia or retain what they had here and through ISK, which is uh, Industrial Symbiosis Kawaro, we sold it to the border. This is the right place to do business. You've got the fibre, you've got the water, you've got the steam, you've got the um, transportation to the to the ports. Mm. So it is really, really important to us, or to me personally, uh, the work that I've done to, to retain that industry here because they were talking about hey, we'll shut it down, we'll go. And that's why I say it is important to address the situation and and get this resolved as soon as possible. I mean, is it on everybody's lips at the moment? Is this the thing that everyone in town is talking about? This has been going on for a while now. And and unions and and companies, they do business behind the scenes and they they don't have to come out and tell the community what's going on. It's only in the last probably six weeks that it has really started to, oh, and then when the lockout part of it came involved, that's when people start to get a bit nervous. Economically, because, you know, we're talking about 145 workers. Yes. What component of Kawarau's workforce is that? This is where we're quite unique in this this community because when the days of of divesting of of the town as such, and this is what in my last 21 years I've, I've worked on economic development to try and fulfil the, the gap that may be coming with, with losing some of our larger ratepayers. A lot of the workforce that actually work down here don't actually live within our district and not necessarily have a, a big impact on our shopping or anything like that. That's where the, the issue lies. And as I say, I don't want to take sides on any of this, but at the end of the day, yeah, it's a, it's a very complicated equation that we're talking about. I would be very, very careful about what I said because a lot of these people, like you said, I do socialise with them and I don't want to be offside to think that they interpreted that I was taking sides of, of a company or vice versa for that matter. Right. Um, so it's just, yeah, it is a very complicated situation. You, you brought it up with the fact that these managers don't live, they don't feel for the, for the town. A lot of people now that live in our town say exactly the same thing about the workers that come in from Whakatane and that, Rotorua and Papamoa and lifestyle blocks, tend to have drifted away and don't actually have any connection back to the town any longer. Our rugby clubs, our soccer clubs, our cosmopolitan club, a lot of those people who used to be here and invest their lives and, and own nice houses and that here have divested of it as well as the company. It shouldn't be a them and us. No. Um, and I've always said to the people that have stayed and, and kept the town going and took it over, don't worry about it. What keeps this town going is exactly what this town was put here for uh, 70 years ago. The yeah. service, the pulp and paper industry, the timber industry, and ethnicity, uh, whether they like it or not, are part of the pulp and paper industry. The toilet paper factory was brought here by the Spencer family who used to live here, I might add, lived here. The richest man in the country lived in Massey Street. John Spencer. Did he? Family. Huh. Yes. He grew up here and, and had a lot to do with it. The, 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 his father didn't, but, and, but in saying that, they, along with the Fletchers, so James Fletcher the first, not the second, and certainly not the, the, the grandson, Hughie Fletcher, built this town. It was all built on, on the Fletcher philosophy, and it was all about keeping the industry in the right place, but more than anything, employing locals. And when that stopped is when the 
promise from Sir James Fletcher the first, and he'd be rolling in his grave if he saw things happen that have happened here now, uh, were turned around by his grandson. And just a last word to Dixie George about the support she and husband Bill are getting. Kawara was a town that gets a lot of bad flack with all the mob and all the things and all this and teenage pregnancy. But I tell you what, when things happen, man, they show love. And they're poor themselves, some of these families. You know, it's just overwhelming. I'm just so overwhelmed over it. ST has only responded with statements. It says talks with the union are progressing well and the mill will stay shut while talks continue. It also says the workers are among the highest paid manufacturing staff in the country and that if the company accepts the union offer, jobs could be cut. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is public interest journalism funded through NZ On Air and produced by Newsroom 4 RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. Today's episode was engineered by Flo Wilson and produced by Mark Jennings and Bonnie Harrison. And thanks to Bill and Dixie George and Malcolm Campbell. Kakite anō.